The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the web. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's a local attorney and certified information privacy professional. She's the author of several books, including Safeguard Your Identity, From Victim to Victor, and The Complete Idiot's Guide to Recovering from Identity Theft. She's testified many times in Congress and the California Legislature on privacy and identity theft issues. And you may have seen her on Dateline, 48 Hours, CNN, NBC, ABC, O'Reilly Factor, and many other shows, including her own 90-minute PBS television special, Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash privacypiracy. Hey, Mari, what's our show about today? Well, Lloyd, today our show is about many good things that are happening in California. And California really is the leading state for privacy. And speaking of that, we have one of our very favorite guests who comes on every year to talk about the new legislation and new uh, laws that have passed on privacy. She's wonderful. She does great work for the state and for all of us who are concerned about privacy and consumers. So let me tell you a little bit about Joan McNabb. Joan McNabb is the Director of Privacy Education and Policy in the Privacy Enforcement and Protection Unit in the California Department of Justice. And that unit protects Californians' constitutional right to privacy. We're one of the, I think, five states that has an actual constitutional right to privacy right in our Constitution. And that, that unit enforces state and federal privacy laws, it educates consumers and businesses, and it makes recommendations to the Attorney General on privacy matters. Joan is a certified information privacy professional with specializations in government and information technology, and she serves on the Privacy Advisory Committee to the U.S. Department of Homeland Security, and she is a fellow with the Poneman Institute, like me, and she is, um, she just does so many things. She does speaking all over, she speaks for the media, and of course she does speaking engagements many places to help many other um, states to get more up to speed in privacy. From 2001 until 2012, Joan directed the California Office of Privacy Protection, which was a resource and advocate on privacy issues. And this this was the first of its kind in the country, and she helped the second one uh, to get started in Wisconsin. Before she got involved with all these things, she worked in public affairs and in marketing in both the public and private sectors, even in France. You can learn more about her, see her picture and her bio, and we link to her website. at You can see it at KUCI.org slash privacy piracy. And of course, you can go directly to oag.ca.gov slash privacy privacy. Joan, my friend, you're wonderful. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thanks very much. 
Mari. Happy to be back with you. Yes. So lots has been going on with privacy, and you've just been at the forefront here. Why don't you tell us about some of this, the legislation that passed for 2015? Yeah. Yes, it's been a, a, a busy year, year here in, in Sacramento, um, in the Capitol. They, they may be uh, sort of tied up in knots in Congress, but not in our legislature. <laughs> right. So we were tracking about a dozen bills um, that were just signed by the governor. We weren't actively engaged in all of them, but uh, there are some very interesting ones. So I'll just tell you about a few of the ones that, that were passed, signed by the governor, and will take effect in January 2015. So there were three on student privacy, that is K-12 students which is kind of a, a new thing. That, that kind of uh, law has mostly been at the federal level, and it's been pretty weak. Right. So the three new California laws, one of them is, is directed to the companies that provide online services and website resources for K-12 purposes that schools, schools use to help their students. Um, and it re- this new law says that they, these operators of websites and services directed to K-12 students can't Track the students can't collect their personal information and can't advertise or sell their information. Well, that is good. That's... It fills a, a gap in the federal law, COPPA, because this applies to students who are over the COPPA age of 13, you know, right. all the way up to eight, 18 right. or under 18. Right. There's another uh, student privacy one that, that uh, sets some privacy and security provisions to be included in contracts that schools make with cloud providers with companies that host the data of student records. Right. And then there's another one that requires that uh, if a school district is going to uh, be monitoring students' social media, like for public safety purposes, um, I'm sure you can imagine what that would be about, that they have to notify the parents and the pupils that they are doing that. Mm. And it, it limits the, their use of that data that they might glean from publicly available information on social media sites to public safety, school or pupil safety. It's not not for just the heck of it. Right, right. So th- just with regard to the school safety, that would include teachers, right? If people are talking about that they want to kill a teacher or something like that, it would it would go to that issue too, right? I, I would figure. Yeah, but yeah. This, this law is about the students' information, however, but it's what the students are posting. So, right, yeah. right, yeah. right, right, because yeah. I know that has been an issue in Orange County. So, mm-hmm. okay, very good. There were two on what is perhaps not quite appropriately known as revenge porn. Uh, when somebody, it, it, the problem with the term is it makes it sound like the, the victim, the, the people whose intimate or nude pictures are involved um, are pornographers in some way, which is not right the case right the right at all and uh the so what the, these two new laws do one of them creates a private right of action for the victim against somebody who without the victim's consent intentionally or recklessly distributes nude or partially nude images right or recordings. Right. And so if you had a relationship with somebody and you sent them pictures of yourself, but then they went and did something and posted those mm-hmm. without your permission, you could sue them. Yes. Yep. Okay. Uh, and then the other one, uh, it, it expands the crime of uh, the crime, which was established just a couple of years ago, that it is crime to electronically distribute sexually explicit, explicit 
explicit images without the consent of the subject expands that so it includes selfies. Yeah. <laughs> Not just images that somebody else took. Wow. Okay. Yeah. We, we, we've taken some action on, in a couple of cases, criminal, criminal actions, um, on, in, in this arena where the way that we were able to uh, get at them was because the, there were websites involved that were actually posting the images, inviting um, others to provide these images, and then extorting money out of the subject. So we right. got them on extortion and identity theft. And, right. So yeah. that if somebody put that picture up online and then the website demanded money to take yes. it down, that is extortion. Yep. Right. So right. You were yeah. able to get a couple of them that way, which was very satisfying. Right. I wonder what happened to some of those websites. That's how they were making uh, their were money. Yeah. They were making yeah. their money that way. Yep. Right. Those are my colleagues in the e-crime unit. The, they're the, the sort of criminal side of privacy protection. And my, my operation, my unit is the, the civil side. Right. Right. So um, there is, there was another law passed that uh, amends the constructive invasion of privacy statute, you know, which is about if somebody is attempting to take pictures of uh, even a celebrity in a personal family or familial activity, that that can be considered a constructive invasion of privacy. And it used to say that that what is, what is, meets this criterion is that it's using a visual or auditory enhancing device. So it's sort of like over the walls or something like that. Right. But now they just change it to any device. Very good. To make it a, a little more expansive. Mm-hmm. One of the more interesting ones, uh, uh, th- those are all interesting, I think. But, yeah, they are. <laughs> one that, that, that uh, I find interesting because this is an area that I find interesting is da- that some amendments to the data breach notification law. Yes. Uh, there was a bill introduced, AB 1710, that was came out of the concern about the massive retailer breaches in 2013, which have, we've continued to see more breaches of credit and debit card data from retailers in 2014. And right. there were, as there were hearings in Congress, there were hearings in our legislature to try and get at what this is all about, what can be done. And so a bill was introduced that was originally going to do a number of things. And once it finally passed it it basically did one thing regarding um, uh, breaches and it amended the law to require that the source of a breach of social security number or driver's license number is to provide identity theft prevention or mitigation service for for 12 months at no cost to the victim mm-hmm. and the reason that it's just that narrow it's not a breach of payment card data for example is as as you know, but not everybody knows. Um, the the benefit of something like credit monitoring is that it can alert you to new accounts being opened in, in your name, which would usually require that that the uh, fraudster have your social security number, your driver's license number, and some other information. And it's not possible to open a new account with a credit card number. Right. Right. So. This was narrowly focused eventually to be where it's appropriate is where it's required, where it would be helpful. Yes, because, yeah, sometimes something happens. And then, you know, if if it's your your bank account number, credit monitoring isn't going to do anything for you. Exactly. I mean, it's 
doesn't hurt you, but it just doesn't help against that right. breach. Right, right. Yeah. So um, that that was the main thing in that bill. There's another provision of that bill that's kind of insider baseball, but could have some good benefits, and that is it amended the information security statute in the civil code that that requires generally companies, and it sort of applies to companies and customer information, um, to use reasonable and appropriate security measures to safeguard the personal information, and it's defined in a way sort of like, like it's defined in the breach law. And that was amended to also require companies that maintain yes. uh, the data sort of essentially on behalf of the owner that they, they are also directly responsible for using appropriate security safeguards to protect it. So that could be like uh, if a company uses an auditor who is going over their data and then, you know, somehow loses, loses it, has a breach of it, the, the, the auditor is required to have appropriate security on the data as well. Now, does the auditor also have to disclose just, no, that, no. This, is, this, this amendment is to the security statute, not the breach law. <coughs> okay, okay. <clears throat> the way the breach law deals with that issue of a, a, a maintainer or a sort of service provider is it says that if, if the maintainer has a breach, the maintainer has to immediately notify the owner of the data, and it's the owner's responsibility to notify the individuals. Right, and, right. And what is a common practice is when a company contracts with somebody to to manage data for them or do something with their data, that they contractually obligate them to pay for the costs of a breach. If right. Indemnify them, right. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So that often happens. But it would be very bizarre if, like, we have a couple of breaches reported to us um, where the breach occurred in, like, a, a mail house that is ma- doing mailings on behalf of the the owner of the data, the, and if the mail house itself sent sent me a notice, I never even heard of them. I have no relationship with them. What what is that about? Right, right. They wouldn't understand. Yeah. Right. So, the way that a couple of those that we have is, it's the actual owner that reports it, and it's on their letterhead, and they, they notify the victims, and they may indeed, as they usually do, say it's these other guys who did it. But Right. But they may not even want to do that. So, I mean, now that's, at least it's a law that they have to tell them. But what if they don't? Is there, I mean, is there anything that would happen if they don't? Like, for example, we have in our security breach law that if a company doesn't, there are some ramifications against that company for not yeah. disclosing. What about for the uh, for the security vendor? Statute. So, so there, the, the remedies are actually somewhat similar. Um, there, it is possible for, a, for a, a, consu- a, a victim to be able to bring uh, a, a case for damages, which can be difficult, as you know, to right. establish in the case of the breach. But it also can be enforced, enforced by public prosecutors like the attorney general or DAs as an unfair business practice because they violated the law. Right, right. And that has a penalty of up to $2,500 violations. Although oh, that could be a lot. If that there's... could be a lot. <laughs> yeah. Okay, that's good. That's mm-hmm. real good. Mm-hmm. Um, another one that I wanted to mention, it was passed. Oh, oh there's, there's one more. Oh, okay. Of course. Uh, there was an amendment to the Social Security Number Confidentiality Act, 
mm-hmm. which has been around since 2003, and it prohibits the public posting or display of Social Security numbers. Right. And, and among its specific provisions that's been in effect since 2003 is the one that says you can't print a Social Security number on an ID card for access to goods or services. <laughs> How is that going to work with Medicare? Uh, well, <laughs> uh, California legislature can't do things to the federal government. Right, right. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, but that's why it's not on our health plan cards. Because well, I law. remember that. I remember that. Yeah. Sure. So it was just amended also to prohibit the sale or marketing of Social Security numbers. Right. With certain exceptions. Right, right. Because you see it all over the Internet. Yes. Yeah. But it it is still kind of a joke that the Medicare number is still got the Social Security number. And you know what, what, what I've told people is if you're concerned about carrying that around in your wallet, here's what you can do. Make a photocopy. Black out all but the last four digits. Keep the original at home in a safe place. Yep. And just use the copy. You've got other ID in your wallet. Yep. Yep. That's that's what I tell people, too. That's Mm -hmm. that's what we have to do. Mm -hmm. But it is insane. Yes. (laughs) Yes, it is. (laughs) They finally changed the military number, right? But I don't think that's complete yet. And and retirees, you know, it hasn't changed for them. And they can go in and get it new one, but it's a complicated process. Yeah, yeah. How about Medicaid? Is that still the Social Security number, too? So for us, that would be Medi-Cal, right. and I don't believe it is. Okay, because it's Medi-Cal. Yeah. Okay, Okay, very good. All right, anything else? No, those are the main pieces of legislation. Well, but we lead the way all the time. Yes, it's we do. just such a, everybody looks to California to see what we're doing, and I think it's wonderful. Mm-hmm. Now, I know your office just came out recently in October with the California Data Breach Report, and uh, that is some report. Why don't you tell us about the highlights of that great report? Now, this is the second one that we've done. Um, Since 2012, the breach law requires uh, companies and organizations that have a breach, if that breach affects more than 500 Californians, in addition to, they have to notify no matter how many it affected, they have to notify individuals, but they have to notify the Attorney General if it affected more than 500. So we... You hear about the big ones. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So we get reports, uh, and we get information, and we get sample notices, which we post on our website so that anybody can go see them, and we gather more information, and we're looking through these breach incidents as an opportunity to to serve a window into practices. So what was going on? What what was Why did this breach occur? Um, What kind of vulnerabilities might have been there? Are there patterns of vulnerabilities? What kind of threats are there as well? And patterns right. of threats. So we're looking for, uh, in addition to looking for potential violations, and sometimes we take enforcement actions, but we're also looking for lessons to be learned that we can help get out to, to the world on, on how they can better protect information. So right. this year, we've we looked at the the 167 of the bigger breaches that were submitted in 2013, mm-hmm. which was a 28% increase over the previous year. Wow. And even more striking is uh, the number of people affected in 2013, just the number of Californians, was 18.5 million. Wow. Which was a 600% increase over 2012. Wow. 
Now, why do you think that is? Well, that is significantly the result of two great big breaches. One of them was Target. Right. it It was the Target payment card breach that came to us in 2013. And we know that affected, you know, tens of millions. But for Californians, it was about seven and a half million. Yes. And then there was another that affected about seven and a half million, and that was earlier in 2013. And it was a website called Living Social. Yes. Um, that's a sort of buying club kind of site. And uh, it was a breach of online account credentials, you know, password oh. and user ID. Right, right. So if you, t- if you took those two away, those two breaches that accounted for be- between the two of them, 15 million of the 18 and a half, there was still a 30% increase over the previous yeah. in number of people. Yeah. So more breaches, more people affected. And it looks like from your report that it's really this the retail industry that took the hit the most, The right? retailer, and, and that's, if you just look at number of breaches, that's been true in both years. It's not just this year, even though this year there were bigger ones. Right. And we, we looked very deeply into that because everybody was very interested in that, of course. And we spent a lot of time doing research and talking with different people to learn about what, because the kinds of breaches that are happening in retail are external malware and hacking. Right, it's right. It's not, for example, significantly employees making mistakes or, or losing laptops. It, it's right. bad guys hacking in. Right, right. So... We started doing research to find out what are the security measures that can be used to defend against this because it's very hard from an enforcement perspective since a lot of the bad guys in this case are not inside of our country. Yes, yes. So the focus, as we say in our report, needs to be on devaluing the data. We're talking about payment card data right now, making right. it less attractive to bad guys. Right. And there are a number of ways that that can be done, and they're in process. They just need to happen faster. And one is the new kind of, new to California, new to the U.S., of credit card with a, with a computer chip in it. Right. And then there's some strategic uses of encryption and encryption-like process called tokenization. And all of these things need to happen very rapidly on, yeah. on retail to stop making this such an attractive target. Now, it's my understanding that that the chip that we have that's coming in our new credit cards, mm-hmm. you don't have to use a pin with it like they do in Europe. So it, in, in Europe, it's a it's a chip and a pin, right? So there, the the way that it seems to be going, and there's some variation in the in the U.S. is they're calling it chip and choice. So the, there's the chip does one thing: the chip protects against the usability of the data to create a counterfeit card. Right, right. So it protects against somebody creating counterfeit cards, which is the kind of thing that they've been doing right. with, with stolen card data. Yes. What the PIN or a signature can do is that that's an authentication mechanism that says uh, Joan goes with this card. Right. Ari goes with this card. Right, right. So as it happens, the bulk of the card fraud is counterfeit. So the chip is the key. The other is an important piece that supplements it. Right. So we will be seeing, ultimately, it'll take a few years, chip and pin and chip and signature. They'll, they'll both be out there. Yeah. And for a time, the mag stripe will stay on the card, and the, the uh, retailer terminals will be able to read either 
the chip or the mag stripe. It's going to be a little confusing in the transition, I'm, I fear. Yeah, and then, you know, I guess how is it going to happen when you do online? Yeah. Or, so, or by phone, right? Yes. So the chip cards with PIN or signature are very beneficial in protecting against fraud card present in a store. Right. Which is, as it turns out, about 90-plus percent of consumer card transactions. Hmm. It sort of surprised me because I'm an online shopper. Yeah, and yeah. And we keep hearing it increased by this huge percentage, but it's still less than 10% of consumer card transactions in the U.S. Well, we'll see what happens, you know, for the Christmas holidays when everybody's afraid to go to Target. Uh-huh. And, and, you know, we'll see if there's more online shopping and... So I just wonder what they're going to do about that. So as we have seen it in Europe, which has been using these more effective, more secure cards for a number of years, yeah. they saw an increase in online fraud when they, when they sure. tightened up the card present fraud right. protections. But there are now different other supplementary uh, software, tech, software that can protect against that, including things like tokenization and, and encryption in various ways online. So, so there are protections against online fraud, but... We're going to have to, you know, it's hard to keep up with these fraudsters. It they're is just so, they're so creative. It's, it's an arms war. Yeah, it is. And they're very motivated. Yeah. What about health care? Yeah, that was the other interesting thing. So we were struck by the retail breaches, of course, as everybody right. was. We right. also saw, when we looked at the two years' worth of data, that health care w- was having breaches... Very different, different kind of breaches than almost everybody else. So, one type of breach is uh, loss or theft of a laptop, a thumb drive, something with uh, personal information on it that is unencrypted. Right. And that we used to see that all the time in the early years of the breach law. Right. It's constantly happening. And then it seems that most companies and organizations have gotten the message and are encrypting. The, the devices when they put data on it. But that doesn't seem to have gotten through to healthcare yet because 70% of the breaches in healthcare in this two year period were from lost and stolen devices with unencrypted information on it. Wow, but compared you know, to nineteen percent for everybody else. Yeah, and you know, I mean, I remember when we worked on that law, uh, yep. security breach legislation. We tried to give that that you know you had this the stick, and then you, you had the safe harbor. Of yeah, right, exactly. So I just um, I just don't understand how they don't get that yet. It's, well, I guess they will because it's embarrassing for them to have all these breaches and they become public. Well, right? and people are you know I think we all consider our medical information extremely sensitive yes. and confidential, and, yes. and it's something that really must be dealt with. And I, I, I mean, my only thought about about it is that the whole healthcare industry is kind of new to the digital digital world. Right, you right. Know, they, they aren't having uh, electronic records and electronic data, electronic transactions are all kind of new, and so they're having to learn. Um, but you'd like to think they'd be learning from others who've been doing this for longer. Yeah, yeah. So what do you think, you know, I know there were some key recommendations on there, and we have about, oh, just about two minutes left. So maybe you could just give us some of the recommendations that uh, that the Attorney General's office kind of gave after this report. Yeah, so we made some specific recommendations to healthcare and, and uh, retail, and then we made some general recommendations, including making the breach notices more readable. Yes. Uh, and more helpful. Yeah. And, and one recommendation that I wanted to highlight is, as the um, 
move to the, the new chip card progresses, retailers have to pay the cost of having new terminals. Oh. Now, they, they update their, their terminals every five or so years anyway, so they just sort of update to this new one. But for a small retailer, this can be a big cost. Yes. And as of October 2015, the payment card industry is going to make the weak, the weak link in the, in the network liable for the cost of fraud if they haven't upgraded. Oh, that's going to be a, a big motivator. And we're concerned that that will be a partic- could hit particularly hard on small retailers yes, who yes. have a hard time doing the upgrade and certainly would have a hard time weathering liability for a, a large problem. Yes, yes, yes. So one of our recommendations that the, is that the legislature consider some kind of funding, some kind of grants like to small retailers to assist them in upgrading, upgrading to more secure uh, terminals. Well, that is terrific. We're just out of time, Joan. So give your website because you have so many wonderful, wonderful things on the website that can help consumers and businesses. So just what? give your website and it's what? time to go. Yes, it's privacy.ca.gov. Thanks very much, Mark. Okay, we'll Mark. talk to you again soon. Thanks so much for your great work, Joan. Bye-bye. Bye. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari Frank. Join us every Monday morning at 8 a.m. right here on KUCI and visit our website at KUCI.org slash privacy piracy. Thank you. Stay private. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.